Welcome to OWC Radio. What follows is a bittersweet story about love, loss, and triumph set in the backdrop of the pandemic in Los Angeles, circa 2020. I spoke at that time with the filmmakers and our friend Dan Neese about their work on the film We Can't Go On, which was shot entirely in their apartment and DP'd by Dan from an iPad. It was one of those indie miracles that we all love so much, making something awesome out of, well, hard times. Shortly after this interview, Dan passed away with no warning to his family and friends. It left us all shocked, dazed, and incredibly sad. I had a hard time working on the show after that as it brought back so many memories and we all needed time to heal. So here we are, it's 2022, and we'd like to share these moments with you. So Amanda and Michael, welcome to OWC Radio, and if our listeners will stick with us to the end, we've got some great news for you. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. This is a fun one. We're in the middle of sort of a lockdown or variations thereof here in California, and I'm talking to three people who have been on lockdown for several months but still managed to make a film. I have with me Dan Neese, Amanda Dreschler, and Michael Livingston. It's called We Can't Go On, and it's about two people, myself and Amanda, as we play ourselves. And we are trapped in our apartment and kind of working through relationship issues and career issues. And it kind of devolves into a maddening kind of nightmare scenario. And, um, yeah, it's got themes on lockdown. We were, you know, very much in full-blown lockdown when we shot it. And so we wanted to write something that kind of reflected the experience we were going through. And we came up with this crazy thing that was in our head. So this is, I'm curious, where are you physically? Are, you, are Amanda, Michael, you are a, a real-life couple. So you were living together at the time the lockdown hit. Where physically are you now? Are you still in L.A.? Yes, I, luckily we are still living together. Uh, <laughs> to not break us apart, we live in Echo Park. And Dan, you're also in the L.A. area, but you're closer to the to the ocean, aren't you, if I'm recalling? Yes, I'm down in Venice, down there at Kenny, and uh, I've been here for many years. And that that was part of the, the interesting part about doing this film is we were trying to figure out how should we do it uh, in a way that I'll do it safely, but that we could collaborate. And so uh, we came up with some pretty interesting ways of doing that. I love that. Dan, you are one of the top director of photographies in the film business. You've been doing this for many, many years. You truly are a leader in our field. And I think it's wonderful that you took this on as a project with Amanda and Michael. And I wanted to ask you, really, how did you manage that? Because you didn't have personal contact. I mean, the only people that were in that room were Amanda and Michael. So how did you guys make that work? We, we well, basically, we, we met a few times on either, was it Zoom or FaceTime? I think it was FaceTime. And um, we talked it over. Uh, our mutual friend, Michael Blinsky, put, put it all together. Uh, and introduced us and helped get helped us get some gear and stuff like that. And basically, we we met 
online and started talking a little bit about what the concept was. And they sent me the script and and we went through it and, and uh, came up with some basic plans of attack as to how we might do this. And uh, we ended up doing it remotely over the internet, over FaceTime, uh, from computer to computer, from our living room to the set, which happened to be their apartment, which they also lived in and climbed over equipment <laughs> while they were living there, which is <laughs> with with their dog and cat. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a big <laughs> yeah. So it was like very much like Futurama. We would have him like on a laptop, and we would we had this whole thing set up, and we would just kind of like carry Dan's head around the apartment <laughs> from setup to setup. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's true, Dan. I mean, I'm watching the behind the scenes and you guys have the laptop set up in front of the monitor. And Dan is kind of like telling you what his opinion might be about where to put things and what lights to use. It was one, it was wonderful. I mean, that had to have been hard for for all of you. Yeah, we, we even did set dressing remotely. <laughs> Unbelievable. It was pretty funny. Yeah. So it was definitely a challenge. It was, yeah, especially because we were setting everything up too. So we were not only physically lifting all the lights, and then we would have to get Dan and put him in front of everything and move it around, and then also be in front of the camera at the same time. So it was, you know, doing twenty different things all at once. It was definitely a complicated situation, <laughs> but we were so lucky to have Dan. I mean, he was amazing. He let us call him at all hours of the night, and uh, we were really able to troubleshoot a lot of stuff. It, it was it was a lot of fun for me. Was it? I mean, you needed to do something fun like this, right? I'm speaking to Dan right now, by the way, to the people who are listening to this. Dan travels all over the world all the time. And so I'm assuming that this lockdown has been a little bit difficult for you. So was this film kind of a creative release for you? Was it fun? Ab- absolutely. And, and it, it's, you know, the, the, the lucky thing about this uh, lockdown and the way that, to survive it right now is you can stay in touch with your friends around the world by through the internet, through WhatsApp, and through other things. You can call, you can write, you can do all these things. And we also found that we could we could actually make a movie in a way that was too different than if we were sitting on a set in Video Village looking at, at cameras that were right in front of us. Mm-hmm. So um, it, 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 what, what we did is we took my laptop and bounced it into, into their laptop, and we set their lap- laptop in front of the monitor that we calibrated. <laughs> And then we lit the scene remotely over the internet through bouncing across two laptops, which sounds like it would be just insanity, but it actually worked pretty well. I was looking at that, and I actually, and you mentioned it, I was wondering about color balance and how you would know the temperature when you're working on two laptops. So I guess you're saying you somehow synced the color on both laptops so that you knew you were getting true color? Well, it did. It didn't have to be that complicated. We shot uh, in Canon's raw, okay. Canon raw light. There you go. So the, the image was raw. And, and we, we put bars into the main production monitor, so we knew that that monitor was accurate. And then um, we would balance out the lights and things by looking at the at the production monitor. And as long as we got it pretty close, we then arranged to where we could, we, could, um, we could adjust it finally in the DI, mm-hmm. that, um, or in, in col- when we went to color. Mm-hmm. Um, then we were pretty safe. Mm-hmm. And and from looking at it, I mean, when you watch the film, you never would guess that we did it the way we did. I mean, it looks really good. 
Well, and that's true, a testament to my brother who did the color because he would tell you, oh, really? Was that easy? He spent <laughs> a lot of time tweaking things to make sure it all matched perfectly. So he's probably pulling his hair out right now. But um, no, I just put it together. Well, what I was saying is, is that, you know, you always spend a lot of time to color if you do anything well. I mean, it's not like you're going to just wave a wand and it's going to be perfect. It's never perfect when it comes off the set. You know, we usually shoot it as close to perfect as we can, or we shoot it in a way that sometimes they lock us out of the corner and we want it to have a certain look. So you try to get it close to that look to begin with so that if they don't go to color that you're not that far screwed. But, you know, in this case, we knew that we got it well within the realm and then um, and then easily it could be gotten to where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Michael's brother did a wonderful job on the color. Yeah, he did. Let's talk about gear for a minute. You mentioned you were on the Canon. Which Canon were you on? Well, we had we had C300 Mark II, Sumeray lenses, uh, BBNS color lights, and we had a few other things. All, all of this stuff uh, Mike Zelensky put together for us. So that was all really, uh, that was his forte as to what he could find us. And all of it was basically uh, gratis. So we were very grateful for anything we could get. Yeah. As, as you know, during quarantine, just to get somebody to come down and actually open up a door for you is a big deal. So, and, and Canon is always in BBS. Those guys have always stood really well behind us. Susan Lewis is uh, wonderful about helping those things put together too. So, I mean, all this stuff is, was friends helping friends helping friends. Which is... On the smallest productions and even on the biggest productions with the biggest budgets, this is all about teamwork. Uh, Everything that we do in the film business is done with a team. So, Amanda and Michael, uh, just one question that comes to mind. How did you survive the relationship doing all of this? And then we'll get back into gear. But, you know, I'm just I'm I'm I keep interrupting you because I'm really excited about the result of all of this and so happy to be talking uh, with Dan again and, and my new friends, Amanda and Michael. But I'm curious Did you guys there's a scene in, in the in the film where you're arguing. Did you really did you really have a hard time at certain points? Oh, the lines were definitely getting blurred between the script and reality. <laughs> on around day 20. <laughs> um, but it was, we wrote it. I mean, and Michael, we Michael was very hesitant. But, like, most of the things that were in our script, just very close to home. Mm-hmm. They were real fights that we've had. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, yeah, it was getting very blurred. And especially just the amount of the significant labor that went into this because usually we were, you know, 15 people that are like moving lights and moving this. I've never really touched a light before in my life. And I was thinking, Oh my God, it's move this. It's so heavy. <laughs> and so it was so daunting. It was, it was the most work we've ever done on the set by far. And, and again, it's the most rewarding. I look at it and I'm like, Oh my God, I did that. We did that. We moved that. We, you know, um, but it, I mean, it was very successful. We are now engaged. So, oh, congratulations. <laughs> we survived. Oh, that's wonderful. That warms my yeah, heart. It was, it was very tough. 
<laughs> Especially the night scenes, I would say, were very, very stressful. The overnights, because we did like six overnights in a row, I think, to get all the night coverage, and we ended up having to do some reshoots. And um, yeah, those scenes, when you get to four or five in the morning and you've been lifting lights and you're sweating, and then you have to get yourself ready to be in front of camera and remember the lines. And, it was a it was a lot, and I don't normally act. I'm more of a director, behind the scenes person, and Amanda is more of an actor, so uh, she was a lot more comfortable in front of the camera than I was. I had to really reach to get to the levels that I needed to get to. So for me, it was particularly stressful dealing with that, and then yeah, just the lack of sleep. We were pushing ourselves, and then we couldn't move anywhere. There was literally just sea stands everywhere. We had just to get from the bed to the bathroom it was like a crazy maze of wires and equipment. So it got it got pretty hairy at some times, but yes, we are engaged and we did survive. <laughs> We're all the better for it. That's awesome. So you survived everything. You made a good film and you survived. So was it just the one camera? Did you have other, how many cameras did you have? Just the one. Mm-hmm. And, and you, the behind the scenes camera as well. <laughs> right. Right. So what did you use to shoot the behind the scenes? That was a, um, a Sony mirrorless that I had, uh, an A7S. And um, we used that. So we had two tripods, a little one, and obviously our big main camera tripod. And we would just move them both around each other in orbit, depending on where we needed to be. I would say filming the behind the scenes was often even more stressful because we were doing so much work to set up and get ready and be in the moment in the scene. And then we'd also have to set up an external camera filming us doing that. So Mm -hmm. that was like a whole other thought process that had to go on that complicated it. But I think that was also something that was really worth it because now we had a time capsule of us, you know, doing it that we'll always have. And it's like going to be a very fun memory to have. Well, you have to show that at your wedding. <laughs> the, beh- the behind the scenes is really entertaining. <laughs> I mean, I am never going to forget that image of you on their laptop, your, your floating head. That was hilarious. How many sessions did it take with Dan? It took something like, what, f- 15 days to shoot this? How long did it take? No, it was 22 no, days? It was 27 it's days, 25 yeah, 27. days. 27. 27 days. days, yeah. So it started out, and these wonderful people that were loaning you the equipment, you were saying, oh, we can do this in a week, <laughs> right? We'll get you this camera back. <laughs> yeah, they were very generous with us. Well, it is because, you yeah, know. Yeah, we kept emailing Canon and said, a few days longer, a few days longer. It was fun for me because, I mean, almost every day they would call me up and say, hey, Dan, you got a minute? <laughs> 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 and then, then we'd pop up on the laptops and, and I'd go sporting around the set being carried by these guys like bear, bearers in front of the monitor <laughs> or sitting over here to look at this or that. Or maybe we're going to put a light here. We're going to put a light there. It felt I felt kind of like that head in, in what was the Wizard of Oz where the head kind of floats around, you know. Mm-hmm. And, wow. uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was, I, I feel like I know every room and every nook, nook and cranny in the apartment, even though I've never been there. Dance me in far too much. <laughs> <laughs> Things I can never repeat. Yes. <laughs> And we called them almost for every day. There was only a couple of days that we didn't uh, call Dan that were kind of just like daylight or pickups that we didn't um, have him on for. But he was there pretty much the whole time, start to finish. I mean, even for the night shoots, yeah, you called him in the middle of the night? like three or four in the morning, yeah. Yeah, there you go. See, now, okay, well, I'm curious about those big, high windows. First of all, you're lucky your apartment does have that that rooftop with all that natural light. But on the other hand... That's difficult to work with. 
because it's going to change during the day, right? And I don't know. How did that work mm-hmm. for you? It was very challenging. Uh, we're very lucky we had that light, the BBNS um, full color LED panel was great because it could do daylight. It also had green and pink shifts, so we could really adjust it as the sun was moving. Mm-hmm. And there's a slight green tint we found out on our windows. And so at certain times of the day, the daylight coming in would start to shift a little bit more green, and we would be like, huh, and so we would have to tweak for that. Um, and Dan was really helpful with all of that as well. And then, of course, my brother was also really helpful. So it was kind of all, all ends from the lighting to the cinematography to the color to really deal with the constantly changing daylight because it really did into a shoot, and the light would be you know, subtly different just enough to be noticeable. The, the Area 48 color light, the BBNS area, 48 color is an amazing light. And as Michael was saying, you can adjust all the, the different color parameters of the light right on the light itself. And you can plug it in the wall or you can run it off of batteries. And it doesn't draw any power hardly at all. So we never, from a technical point, we never blew a breaker. We, we never heated up the wires in the apartment or anything because we weren't drawing amps and amps and amps of power. We were only using a small amount of power to make this happen. And plus a lot of natural lights like candles and and, and lava lamps and things like that. And the lava lamp scene alone was quite a challenge to get the light, the lava lamp in the right place and then get the light to look like it came from the lava shadowing the actors from the actual lava lamp itself. It was, it was that scene looks deceptively simple. Well, I was looking at that, wondering how you didn't have a shadow on their faces. It, it took a lot of, we, we had the camera set up, and, and they'd be in the scene. Uh, they'll move the light this way and do that, and now shift here, and now move your body here and do this. And we, we had quite a lot of discussion about things like that. And then when we got to the, to the dining room table, too, and the food that was set up on the dining room table and camera placement, that was quite a lot of, set dressing and rearrangement and I said, well, put the pie here or put this there or put that there until finally it ends up looking very natural when it was not natural at all because people don't eat that way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they just throw <laughs> stuff down and eat it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but we wanted it to be attractive and, and not to draw attention to what was on the table but just to, for the actors to get their day in the, in the limelight, you know. Right. That sort of thing. That was so gracious of you to help do that and so so uh dan for you what was the biggest challenge for you in this in this project well i mean we we in any project you got to think it through and think what needs to be done and we before we ever rolled the camera um, a and michael and i spent a lot of time talking about what if this or what if that and should, what camera should we use should we just use the sony or should we use the um uh, the Canon stuff that we had access to and how should we plan this? And I said, well, you know, shoot some test shots some t- test scenes, throw them into your computer, edit them, uh, see how they fall together, see how the color balance works, all this stuff. This was before we had lights or, or extra equipment or anything. This was just with the camera that they already had and kind of do a test run to see, give you some ideas of what your parameters will be with what you have there if you can't get anything else. Because, I mean, you know, when the, the whole thing about making movies is not what you show, it's what you don't show and what you keep out of the frame and what you choose to bring into the frame and how you show that and in what manner you show it and, and how you reveal things. So it's, it's, uh, 
once you get that thought process down, I mean, like Alfred Hitchcock, whenever he'd make a movie, the making of the movie was a formality to him, him because he had already made the movie in his head, you know, a thousand times before, before he ever rolled the camera. So if you if you think things through about what you really want to do, then, you know, it, the, the, the making of the movie is still going to be a lot of work, but you won't have to try to make decisions on the fly or as many decisions on the fly as you do if you just go in cold turkey and just say, okay, we're making a movie, you know, because then, then you're going to be there instead of being there for a month, you'll be there for a year and then it won't be as good. Right. That's really good advice. These, these, these two really, really, they, they put their thinking caps on and they really did a great job. They wrote a really good script. They did a good job of technically, they did a good job dramatically. So I think that that's why the movie works and the reason it works so well. Yeah, and Amanda and Michael, you you have a lot of experience. This was not your first rodeo. I mean, you you've done narrative films and documentaries. I was looking at your reel. Uh, what was the National Geographic show that you worked on? Uh, yeah, the Nat Geo thing is for um, when they did their first series of their show, Genius, which I think was Albert Einstein. They commissioned a series, a bunch of short films, to go as promotions for it. So we uh, got hired to do one of them. So we wrote, directed, and produced the short film that was based on one of Einstein's uh, famous quotes about time travel. And so we uh, wrote this narrative about a character who goes back in time to try to end a, a relationship. And um, we wrote that and produced that, and that was a couple years ago, and that was really rewarding and a lot of fun. And we got some really cool stuff for that. And then, yeah, we've just been working in the industry together for, for quite a while. We have a production company called Quick Brown Fox Productions, and we do all kinds of stuff together. Right now we're in development on a TV series. So, yeah, it wasn't our first rodeo, but it was our first rodeo as far as doing every single job there is to do, just the two of us, because usually we have a crew. You know, we'll have a first, a second AC, producers, all kinds of people running around. And with this, it was just us and, of course, Dan. But Dan wasn't there, so he could tell us, and he was giving us, you know, all the instructions, but we still had to do it and figure out how to, you know, toggle all the switches. And so it was definitely a unique challenge. But I think having the experience that we've had making the shorts and making the products that we've done, we wouldn't have been able to do it to the level that we did if we hadn't been on as many sets as we've been on in the past. Yeah. So you took everything that you had learned from working for quite a few years and put it into this. You know, the the Canon, have you shot with Canon before? Because there's a difference between the Canon and the Sony and the way they shoot and even and even the way the two cameras see color is different. And I'm just wondering because if they lent you the Canon camera, if you hadn't used that particular camera before, did it did you have a little bit of a learning curve with that or did you hop on that pretty quickly? A little bit. I've used a lot of Canon cameras before, but I hadn't used that specific one. But I was generally familiar with kind of their menu structure. But we also, uh, Dan was gracious enough to do a prep day with us. So we had a whole day of being on the phone and going through line by line on the, on the menu and setting it properly and calibrating the monitors with, with Dan. So by the time we were actually starting to shoot, we really there wasn't really too much of a learning curve because we had the time to kind of get in the weeds on the camera functions beforehand. And the Canon colors definitely are different. I've used I've used Airy, I've used Sony, I've used lots of different things. The Canon colors have a have a very unique warmth to them, I think, and I really like that. Yeah, the Sony's the Sony's very cold. It's very clinical. I was going to say that the the thing is, I own like four Canon cameras, so I know them pretty well, and they're all very similar. 
But there, I mean, the one thing, I, one point I wanted to make, which doesn't have anything to do with color, is the fact that Michael's an editor, and so he knew what he needed to shoot to make the movie work because he knew what shots he needed to get. You know, that's always a really a great thing for somebody that's a filmmaker is to cut a few films so you know you don't go off and shoot a bunch of extraneous stuff. You shoot what you need to shoot to make your film work, and and you, you're not like I, I think from being an editor. You don't shoot a lot of extra stuff because you don't have to wade through it and store it all. Right. You know. So and 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 he knew this with subconsciously without ever having to be told this. He knew it from just his experience and probably working for other people that have shot too much or shot too little, and so he knew what he needed to get. Yeah, I agree. Being an editor was a big help. We did probably shoot more than we. should have on this weekend. Yeah, I was just going to say, Dan, we shot, we shot more than we've ever shot before. <laughs> I was cringing the whole time, but it's just being in front of the camera and setting things up and running around. Often we would just hit roll and it would be going for way too long. But Dan would be correct. <laughs> but you had, you had a really good shot list because I was looking at that and you covered everything really well. And the the film moves like a scripted film. This is not, you know, people will sometimes say, oh, we made a short film and immediately what comes to mind is somebody running around with a DJI and just kind of capturing what they can and then figuring out and post what to what to put in it, even if it is scripted. You didn't do that. This is really professionally done. I just have one question. Um, you know, I've shot a lot with both of those those cameras as well as the, the other bigger ones, but did you have any heating issues with the, the A7S for the behind the scenes? Did it, how long would it roll until it cut off and got overheated? Was that a problem at all for you? It rolls. It rolls pretty well. I didn't. We didn't have a problem with that on this end. And we're lucky we're in an air conditioned apartment, so I think it would probably be a different story if we were outside. Um, but typically, I was able to run it for a long time. Our biggest problem is just battery life. The batteries on that camera go like that, and we have I think five or six batteries, and we're still changing them constantly. So unlike the Canon, one bat, we only had two batteries for the camera, and we were just be able to cycle them back and forth and they would last all day. So the, the difference between now is really striking. Yeah, I mean, I found with the Sony, I can get like 45 minutes of shooting. You were doing time lapses too with that. So I was looking at the behind the scenes, mm-hmm. wondering wondering how you kept that going. That's really interesting. So describe to us, other than the cameras and the tr- what other equipment did you have in there? What did you use for sound? We had a variety of stuff that we either owned or borrowed from friends. So we had uh, two um, Sennheiser shotgun mics and then some lav mics. And we kind of set them all up. Obviously, we didn't have a boom operator, so we rigged them all up on C-stands, and we kind of just carried them all around the room. And then we would try to hide the lav mics behind pots or behind things. This is kind of like a backup mic for certain scenes. Um, sound was one of the most challenging parts because it's the area that we're probably the least experienced with. Yeah. Um, sound is also one of the most challenging. And our, our apartment is is literally right in the flight path of LAX, and it's also very close to the police helicopter station downtown. So we were just constantly battling airplanes and helicopters and sirens, and that was a really um, big challenge with us, especially with our big windows. They're beautiful, but they let in a ton of sound. And so, um, yeah, we had two shotgun mics, a lav mic, and um, a Zoom recorder. And um, we had it all set up, and we would just move them around the room as best we could. 
Our sound designer is uh, Michael Capuano, and he works with a sound uh, studio in L.A. called Iceman Audio, and he did an amazing job kind of cleaning up and getting rid of all the airplanes and all the stuff and all the hums that was in the audio. Um, he really came through on us with us for sound. He's another friend, so we really just reached out to so many friends came together to help make this happen. It was really humbling for us. It's just it just warms my heart when I see something like this and everybody pitches in and it's really successful. Amanda, as an actress, how hard was this for you? I mean, you're working with somebody that you live with. You're in the middle of all of this mess. You're exhausted. I don't know how you looked as wonderful as you did shooting all night for several nights in a row. How how was all that for you? Well, for me, and this is just a very specific project, it was probably one of the easiest projects because all I had to do was just tap into me and tap into my and Michael's relationship. Like like I said, this is like, Michael hates when I say this, but it is pretty autobiographical. <laughs> and like, obviously, Michael is not worshiping a lava lamp. Like that is not happening in our apartment, but... Um, the emotional core and like the emotional fights, like they, they are very much, um, they near a lot of the, um, past fights that we have had. And so it was not difficult for me at all to tap into <laughs> this character, which was me. And, um, but how I look so good, it really, the lenses, I'm in love with these lenses, these Sumi Ray Primes. They were, it was like someone smeared Vaseline on it. It was so beautiful. And my skin looked so good. It was completely poreless. And I was like, I'm never shooting on anything else. Assuming my primes, that is it. That's, uh, you know, finding finding the lenses uh, for the director and for the actors. And also, Dan, you, you can attest to this better than I can even it can make such a difference because that is that's a character in the film it really makes a difference i have i haven't shot with those i have to try them they're wonderful especially if you open them all the way up the, the thing is that the lenses have a very different character when they're opened all the way up than when you stop them down and so we intentionally in planning this we shot the whole movie with the lenses all the way open and or as, as open as we could keep them because we wanted that special quality that sumo rays have when they are open and so it, it's, it would be the thing where we'd set a shot up, we'd have the lens, the T-stop the, the opened all the way, and then rather than adjust that, we'd adjust NDs inside the camera. Inside at night, we'd be using NDs so we could keep the lenses opened up so we could get that beautiful quality, the creamy quality that the Sumer rays have. And these are things that people never think about. You know, these are things that, like um, I've shot other films where I've put things behind in front of the lens and got the fastest lenses I could get for certain looks because the story required a certain thing. Um, like if I did one film where when somebody lit a cigarette, I didn't want them just to light the cigarette. I wanted it to be an event. So I, I got T1.0 lenses and I opened them all the way up. So when the, when the match struck and the flame came up to the cigarette, it looked like it, it was an, in, a, a fireworks display or something. So these, these things... These are decisions that we, we made in the beginning of the movie as to what a way to get this look. And I think they worked out really well. And, and these guys did a wonderful job of carrying that on, you know, because I, I can only be there uh, 
remotely on with my floating head for so often, and then they had to be left on their own to do their 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 own art, and that was like. You know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, directing themselves, having written it, having done all these things, the two of them, it's amazing. They really did a great job, and, and uh, they have my my applause for what they pulled off. Oh, thank you, Dan. It was a it was a really good script. There's a lot of symbolism in the script. I don't want to read too much into it, and I don't want to put spoilers in here because I want everybody else to really enjoy it, but... I mean, everything, even the packages that are lined up against the wall and, you know, the the three things that you want to confess to him about. Honestly, that drove me crazy. I didn't want the film to end. <laughs> and I'm not going to say any more than that. So, so you guys listening, you have to watch this film. Amanda or Michael, whichever one of you wants to, tell us again what this movie is about. Amanda, why don't you take this one? Um, well, this movie is about two people in the film industry who are waiting for a life-changing email. What they've been waiting for their whole career. They've worked up for this email that they have written a series, and whether it sells or it isn't, and, or it doesn't. And they're waiting for this, and they decide to not leave their apartments until this email comes. Uh, we didn't really want to make it about COVID because um, that, was, that was the question. What is it? What are we going to do? Are we going to make it about COVID? Or are we not going to make it about COVID? And so instead, we just really wanted what everyone was going through, and that was just isolation. So we were really waiting for an email. That was, again, a real moment when we talked about doing this. We are like, oh, what do we want to write? And I was like, well, why don't we just write what we're going through right now? We're stuck in our apartment. We're waiting for this email. We can't think of anything else. And so that's what we wrote. We wrote about two people in the film industry waiting for a life-changing email. And basically, it goes off the rails from there. Um, We wanted it to be like you couldn't grasp the time, that you weren't sure what time were we in. Are we in the past? Are we in the future? And basically how we felt during isolation. We could never figure out what time it was. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, the film is called We Can't Go On, and it is a perfect example of the amazing creative synergy that can happen when people who care about each other really have a vision and get together and everyone helps to get it done. Where can people see this movie? Uh, Right now it's up on Vimeo for anyone to watch. Vimeo.com slash QBFPROD. That's our Vimeo page. So it should be the first one that pops up there. That's Q, B as in boy, F as in Frank, right? And also, yeah. I found it again and because P-R-O-D I had... as in production. Right, there you go. And I I actually found it by um, going on Vimeo and just searching for it and, it, and it popped up. Also, to those of you who are listening, watch the movie and then go watch the behind the scenes because it's hilarious and it's... It's really it's really fun to watch. And, and there's a there's a cameo of Michael Valinsky in the beginning of that. We're all thanking Michael as exec producer for helping to put this all together. Uh, who else do we need to thank who helped you make the film besides Michael and Dan and your brother up north and the sound person? Can you think of anyone else like the sound mixer again? Was there anybody at the. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So many, so many people. Mm-hmm. 
So we can thank our sound person again, Michael Capuano. And then there's our visual effects team who was run by um, <clears throat> Steve Bannerman over at Local Hero Post who did the visual effects for us along with his um, visual. Yeah, they really came through and they did that. And it was so cool, the, the uh, cell phone part at the end. And we can thank our visual effects uh, producer, Christopher Brown, and our visual effects supervisor, Yuri. And then there's also our composer, who came through and did such beautiful music for us. We love the music. And that's Ezra Reich. And then we have a few other producers. Um, our associate producer, Stephen Moreno, who he lent us our production monitor and a ton of other equipment. Um, we have our friend Caitlin, who was the voice of the fitness instructor. And then, of course, Susan Lewis, and uh, who helped put this all together, and Toby Sally over at BBNS Light. And then, of course, we have Dara Grombaliniak over at Canon, who helped procure the gear for us. Um, Nathan Owen, he is an art director friend of ours in town that helped us with a bunch of stuff. Um, Par Parek, who lent us some microphones. The list goes on. <laughs> Where does it go from here? What are your plans? Well, we wanted, um, we didn't want to wait for traditional film festivals. We didn't know when festivals were going to come back or how virtual festivals were going to work. And the film is so kind of relevant to the current moment. We wanted to just get it out there. So we just decided to release it. And we'll probably be submitting it to some um, blogs and articles and some other potential online film festivals in the coming weeks. But right now, we just want it out for everyone to see. So it's up on our video page and it's ready to watch. Dan, Amanda, Michael, thank you for taking the time to do this and congratulations on the film and everyone listening go to Vimeo search for We Can't Go On the movie and watch the film and then watch the behind the scenes and remember what I always tell you get up off your chairs and go do something absolutely wonderful today even if it's trying to skirt around equipment in your own apartment and now for the good news I promised you Amanda and Michael are happily married they decided to create a new last name by merging theirs together, so they now go by Michael and Amanda Drexton. They've launched a new production company called Artless Entertainment, and they've got several projects in development under that label. You can check it out at www.artlessentertainment.com or at Instagram at artless underscore ENT. They've also recently wrapped production and are in post-production on their first feature. It's a comedy titled Sour Party, and they're aiming it at 2023 festivals. You can go to at Sour Party Movie on Instagram to learn more. Yeah, we all miss Dan terribly, and Michael and Amanda told me that making We Can't Go On with him in lockdown was one of the most fun and challenging experiences they've ever had. To quote them, Dan's endless kindness and incredible talent got us through it. He will always have a special place in our hearts and our memories. And that brings us to the end of this pandemic tale. Dan, in heaven, we say thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for everyone in the industry. And may this be a lesson to all listening in perseverance. We wish you all the best with your projects. Thank you for listening to OWC Radio.